everybody. It's the first episode of the Barrett Low Show. Just decided I need to start potting. Had to make a podcast. People need to hear my voice. Right now, I'm just Bobby talking about basketball. Who knows what I'll end up talking about? I'm pretty spontaneous. Who knows how long I'll keep going? Who knows how often I'll do it? I'll put one up when I feel like it, and I'll let y'all know. But right now, I've just got basketball in the mind. I was just watching that Nuggets and Jazz game. And Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, them boys were going crazy. That's what I was imagining when I thought of the bubble. I was thinking that the best players on the teams were just going to be able to go crazy, make like every shot because there's no fans distracting them. They could just get in the zone. And I don't care what anyone says, those guys were in the zone. Anyone that says that getting hot is not a thing needs to watch this series because the shots Donovan Mitchell was making and the shots that he's been making all series... He doesn't, he doesn't shoot those in the regular season. And he's been hitting them consistently, step back in people's faces. Jamal Murray, who usually in regular season will drop 30 and then he'll have like a 12-point game. That guy was just making everything he put up. But at the end, what in this series, what I'm thinking is about to come down to is the Nuggets. They've got, they're like 10 good players deep. Then you look at the Jazz, and they've got like maybe seven trustable guys they could throw out there. And I don't even know if seven is trustable now because Joe Ingles is just falling off. I don't know what's going on with him. I'm guessing he's just thinking Donald Mitchell's going crazy, so I'm just not even going to try to be aggressive. But I didn't. I don't remember him attacking the rim. He don't, he, I think he only shot threes. I'm pretty sure he was one for four, all threes. He's not a slasher by any means, but he's a little crafty. When he gets going, he can, he can get a little handle, make some nice passes in the lane. But he didn't do any of that tonight. He just stood up there, shot a few threes in 30, 30 minutes. He, sh- he needs to be aggressive. He needs to be at least like a 12-point scorer for them. He's not giving them anything right now. And zero rebounds, not much of a defender. Jamal Murray goes crazy whenever he gets switched on him. The only person he really plays defense on, I guess, is Paul George. He locks up playoff P, but I guess that's not really that hard after what we've seen these days. But even more with that, George Niang. 10 points tonight, 3 of 6 shooting. Not bad. But when I'm watching him, I don't trust him. When when they put him in at the... I think he got most of those points early. When I was watching, that's why it felt like, it felt like he was scoring early when it was a close game. There's not really lots of pressure. And then they put him in the fourth quarter. He just put up a couple bricks. and He's a little chubby, if I'm being honest. I don't trust him to guard anybody. I don't I don't want him on the floor in the playoff game in the game six. Uh, if, I'm, if I have a team, I don't want him on my rotation. He's a weak link. The Nuggets don't have anyone as bad as him in their rotation. Who's the worst player they throw out there? Torrey Craig? Maybe? At least you know when you put him out there, he can clamp. And he and he holds his own on offense, too. I don't know who the Nuggets' worst player that they put out there is. Michael Porter Jr. when he's not hitting because he plays no defense. You could say that. But the Nuggets just from 1 to probably 9, 10, maybe even 11, they just have solid players up and down their roster. The only chance the Jazz have is just based off the fact that the Nuggets some nights don't play any defense with guys like Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, not great defenders, Jokic, not a rim protector at all. But I think one of the things that solved that they found was playing Mason Plumlee a little more because that man, he's got some athleticism to him. As a center, he gets up, he's protecting the rim, he's running the floor, he's making up for the mistakes when when Michael Porter Jr. is out there. That was a good adjustment by Mike Malone, I thought. 
by putting those two in together because Michael Porter Jr., like, it's not even like he can't play defense. It's just like he's just out of position all the time. He closes out to somebody and just gives them straight line, straight pass to the rim. But when he's got Mason Plumlee behind him, it's not as bad. He, he covers up that up a good amount of time. But so in game seven, I'm thinking the Nuggets are just going to come away with it because Net Jazz let this series get too deep, and now Donovan Mitchell's got it. I I still he's he's a superstar. He know he's going to be able to hold on and have a great game. But like the other guys, they're a bit of an old team. They might be getting a little worn out. Nuggets have a guy that they just threw in, Gary Harris. They've got a lot of guys that have been playing minutes, a lot of options to throw out there. They should be fresh, ready to go for a game seven. So I'm thinking they're going to take it which will lead them to the next round series with the Clippers. And if you're Paul George, you got to like your matchup with the Nuggets. They really don't have, the only wing defender they have is Torrey Craig, and he doesn't play the majority of their minutes. Jerry and Grant kind of, but he's a little bigger. I would think they'd put him on Kawhi a little more. I'm thinking if the Clippers get matched up with the Nuggets, Paul George is going to have a much better series. And I am no believer in playoff P, but that Nuggets defense, I'm pretty sure, is built to let him go off. That's what they're playing, yeah, if they win. But aside from that, the Clippers, the Clippers are pro- whoever wins, the Clippers are probably going to have their way with them. They're just as deep as the Nuggets, but they're deep with two-way players all up and down their roster. So whoever it is. The Clippers have to love the matchup because the Jazz, if they're able to come away with the Game 7 win, they might be able to give them a little bit of trouble. Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles seems to have a little formula for Paul George. He had him like 2 for 16. I know he doesn't play well in the playoffs, but 2 of 16. It's another level. So I think they'll have better defense for him, but at the end, there's... If, even if they're able to pull this one out, maybe Donovan Mitchell scores 50. Mike Conley has a good game. Rudy steps up. Maybe they could pull it out. But there's no way. They don't have. They just don't have enough bodies to keep up with the Clippers. Clippers just have too many good players. Not to mention Kawhi Leonard on Donovan Mitchell. I don't think he's having two 50-point games with Kawhi on the floor. I just don't see that happening at all. But now we'll go to the East because that's what's coming to my mind right now. We got the Bucks and Heat coming up. Now the Heat are probably the best matchup in the East for the Bucks. They have Jimmy Butler to throw on Giannis when he's trying to when he starts out on the perimeter, and then they've got Bam who can who can get up, he can have some rim protection if he gets by him, or if they push up, start putting him in the post a little more, he can guard him down low. They just have a lot of bodies that can hold Giannis a little bit. Andre Iguodala, that's. If he still got it in the tank like he did even a year ago for the playoffs in the war- for the Warriors, he's going to be a pretty hard matchup for Giannis. Not to mention Chris Milton. They have both Iguodala and Jimmy Butler to guard Chris Milton. But yeah, I think Andre Iguodala is going to be the X Factor in that series because he hasn't looked as good as he did last year even after coming back from sitting out half the year. He, so if he still has it in him, if he's not like over the hill, if he hasn't fallen off, he's going to give problems just because he's an elite defender and he's not as tall as Giannis, but he's as built to guard Giannis as almost anybody. 
I, I think the Bucks will be fine with that series, though. I think I think Eric Bledsoe, I don't trust – I trust him the least out of anybody in the playoffs for the Bucks, Or I trust him about as little as anybody besides Paul George in, start, in terms of keeping up with regular season production. But I like the matchup for him. I don't think Goran – I think he's the type of player that can – I think Goran Dragic is the type of player that Eric Bledsoe could lock up. And I think that Dragic is not built to deal with Eric Bledsoe and his strength. So I think he'll have a very good series. I think I always trust in K-Mitty. Although they have Jimmy Butler and Iguodala to rotate from Giannis to him, I think the attention that Giannis will get will will open things up for K-Mitty. So I think that'll be a good like six-game series win for the Bucks. And then you look to Celtics. If the if the Bucks win this series, I think the Celtics would be an easy matchup for them. I think the Celtics are a really good team, but they just do not match up well with the Bucks, and it's looking like, based on that first game, that there's a good chance they'll get to the Bucks. They don't have, they just don't have any size. The Heat's their key is they have multiple big guys. They've got Kelly Olynyk, they've got Bam Adebayo, they've got Myers Leonard. They've just got big centers that they could throw at Giannis to unleash them help defense, which you saw last year when, the, when they got knocked out. They had, Raptors had Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka for Kawhi to lead. Kawhi just led Giannis to them, and it was just a tough matchup for him. So for that Celtics-Raptors series, the Celtics are built very well to beat the Raptors because the Raptors just don't have any scores to, on the wing to make Jason Tatum Jalen Brown work. They don't have they have good defenders and, and an OB, but they don't have anyone to make them work defensively. It's all it's all guards and or the, a lot of their scoring comes from their backcourt, who you know Marcus Smart can take care of that. And in terms of wing players, they just don't have anyone that can can get in their head at all from scoring on them. So the Celtics, so the Celtics wings where they're strong at Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. They really don't have to worry about too too much on the other end, and they can just go crazy on offense. And they don't, and their lack of size isn't really going to kill them because there's not a big slashing wing on the Raptors that's going to kill them at the rim. Pascal Siakam is the Raptors' only chance, but he's not much of a slasher. He's more of like a post player, spot up, can handle, but he's going to need to play better if they want to have a chance. He's he needs to be able to be a number one option, which. I haven't seen it. I don't. I think he's a great. I think he's a great second player. He can be a second best player on his championship team, clearly. But I just don't think he's gonna take you to a conference finals as your best player. As good as that roster is, they're another one that they just don't put bad players out there. You got the Jazz. They'll throw out a Georges Niang. Who? Are you sure he's a good NBA player? I don't really think he is. They'll throw out backup center for the Jazz. I don't. He's from UNC. He's not very good either. They just put players on the floor that you're not really sure if they're good or if they're going to last in the NBA, if they're really NBA players, or if they should probably be in Europe. The Raptors, they just, I said like 1 to 10, the Nuggets have good players. The Raptors literally have all good players. They got some white guy at the very end of their bench who comes in, comes in at the end of the regular season bubble games and just hitting everything. They've got Chris Boucher, who's a bucket, like best player in, G League, in the G League before he moved up. They've just got so many bodies, but I, for the Celtics, I just don't like that matchup. So I think 
Celtics are going to move on from there. I, I think they've got this series, especially watching the first game. and just was dominant. I think Nick Nurse is the best coach in the league. So I think he's, or at least he's up there. He's as good as anyone in the league. So I definitely don't think it'll be a blowout like it was game one many more times. But I don't, I don't see the Raptors winning this. They don't have, just don't have the wings to make Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown work. But if the Celtics move on, if they get, if they were to get the Heat, because the Heat will cause trouble for them, the Celtics will go to the championship. They'll go. They they're good enough to win the finals. I just think their worst matchup is with the Bucks. So if they see the Bucks, it'll be a problem. But anyone else, even the Clippers, if they get Gordon Hayward back, the Clippers are the most talented team in the league. But Celtics have the best, like their best four players. No other team can match up with that. Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Gordon Hayward. Clippers don't have four guys that can match up with that. And Daniel Tice is a solid center. They don't. I think in, in that series they wouldn't need like a super big rim protector. They they don't. I mean Giannis is just usually don't really need a rim protector in the NBA these days. I think it's a, a little bit overrated. It's probably it's kind of been falling off since like DeAndre Jordan on the Clippers. You haven't really seen many just pure rim protectors being like a factor in the league because. There's not a lot of big players that are attacking the rim constantly. But Giannis is one of the few that make it make his money makes his money doing that and that's why I don't think the Celtics are set up to stop him. Because the way to stop him, the only the way we've seen last year, Raptors, put Kawhi on him, put a great wing defender on him, and have a great rim protector ready to meet him at the rim. The Celtics, who are they gonna put on at first? Jalen Brown? That's not that's not horrible. But then, then he's if he gets by him, or there's nowhere to lead him, he's gonna go right in Daniel Tice, dunk on his head, Robert Williams, dunk on his head. He's like six eight, six nine, and his canter. Come on. So, so that that series is, would just be a bad matchup. But they're they're good enough to win a championship because in the playoffs you don't need to be super super deep as long as you have enough players that you're playing that are solid. And I think all the players they play are solid. They don't have a Georges Niang, the backup center for the Jazz that can't play. They have all players that can do something. Like Robert Williams, if in the right matchup, he can be a good slashing center. He gets up, he can block some shots. He's not a rim protector, but he's not. But he can get up and block some shots on some smaller guys. Ennis Cantor can give you some post buckets. They didn't play him today, but if they need it, if they need it, he could come in and give it to him. Give it to him. Daniel Tice, they said he had the second best defensive rating, so although I don't think he would be a good matchup for Giannis, I think he's good good enough to be a starting center on a championship team. He's as, as the fifth best player in the lineup. It works. Marcus Smart, man. He's improved a lot. I, that man can shoot now. Came into the league and he was people were letting him shoot, people leaving him wide open. He was walking bricks, but that Celtics team's looking pretty good. I'm just if they get the heat, they'll probably make it to the finals and they'll have a good fight against whoever they get. But, you know, I'm just going wherever my mind takes me. Right now I'm thinking about that Thunder Rocket series and that man Lou Dort, man. It's the X Factor of that series, both teams. And that man's hooping. He's holding Harden to five free throws, which I don't know if I've seen that since he's came to the Rockets. He's one, probably one of the best defenders in the league, but he's also probably the worst shooter in the league that's not a 
that's not a center. Reminds me of Andre Roberson, who they used to have. They used to play him so much, and as a Warriors fan, they throw they play him up, they put him on the court so much, and they just rave about his defense. I don't think he was as good a defender as Ludor is now, but the point is, the thun the Warriors literally didn't have to guard him. They just would put him at the three three point line. The Thunder would put him there. He would just keep shooting them, and he just never he would shot a terrible percentage, and that's what we're seeing with Lou Dort. Lou Dort, he's a I think he's a better defender than Roberson, but his shot is just as ugly. He's not just missing like a little long, a little short, maybe in and out with the rim and the backboard. Nah, he's missing like left, right, all backboard. He's completely he has no he has no three point shot right now. He has if they if they design their offense right, he has at least athleticism and slashing ability to where he can give you something. Where Robichon, I don't even think he could really do anything around the rim. Lou Dort seems like he has some slashing in him, but when he's on the floor with Stephen Adams, it's just too clogged for him to be around hanging around the rim in the dunker spot, which is really all he could do on offense at this point. So. Before the series, people were talking about is Steven Adams going to be able to stay on the floor with the Rockets' five-out lineup, and yeah, he's been he's been pretty good. Like they haven't been able to kill him on defense because PJ Tucker is not a stretch five that's going to punish a, a big stiff center like that. Like just because they have five out, they don't they don't have any they don't set a lot of screens, they, so there's not a lot of switching opportunities. So there's really no reason for a center to be played off the floor against the Rockets. They don't really make him do that much. All they have to do is worry about P.J. Tucker shooting corner threes. He's not really much to worry about. But really what's happening is that Steven Adams is almost getting played off the floor by his own player because the Thunder to have any chance, they need someone that can guard Harden. And it looks like looks like Lou Dor is the only one. And he looks like he's pretty good at it. But he's so bad on offense, at least at shooting, that... You can't have another non-shooter out there with him because that just messes up the whole spacing, and there's no room for anyone to drive. So, it, I don't. I, th- I think for them to have a chance, they need to like stagger those two minutes more. They can't play them together as much. They need to have a little more Gallinari, Gallinari at the five. Not because the thun, not because the Rockets have a stre- have a five-out offense, because that they don't. PJ Tucker at the five doesn't punish that. It's just that. And the Thunder need more spacing on their offense. Then, about that, everybody. I was just having a little indigestion. I had to take care of that. You know how it'd be. But yeah, we were talking about the Thunder and Rockets. Yeah, I just... I think the Rockets are about to take this one, probably game six. My heart wants the Thunder. I'm, a more, I'm, not, I'm not really into this series that much. I'm still a fan. I, you know, I, I'm not unbiased. I'm a fan, if you don't know me. But even though I slightly want the Thunder to win, I just think that the Rockets have this have this series because CP3 is just he's just not stepping up, and his his resume as a playoff performer it's it's not very good, and he's gone to conference finals once. That's when he was when he was with James Harden, and he doesn't get dragged for it quite as much as guys like James Harden does. And I think that's because he's seen as like a floor general. So when he doesn't score a lot of points, people don't blame it on him as much as when they see James Harden not shooting well in a big game. But Chris Paul, in the last game, he just wasn't even attacking. 
he would just bring the ball past half court and half the time just give it off to somebody, which, okay, maybe that's part of their offense, but he was not getting the ball back and creating good shots. The shots he was creating was wide-open threes for Lou Dort. Clearly, you don't want to give wide-open threes for Lou Dort. You need to find a way to get Shea Gilgey going because he's been cold, but that, but he's you need him scoring if you want a chance to win at this, and he's been big early in other games in the series. And I think more than the fact that he's not really getting guys going that well, he's not getting Gallinari great a lot of great three-point looks. He's not scoring a ton for himself. He's when they're when there's runs going against them, he's not taking it into his hands and making sure they get a good bucket very often. Even more than that, those things, I think his personality has just gotten under the nerves of the Thunder players, and I think that happens everywhere he goes. I think. It's great for the regular season. Like everyone's, everyone's good with it. He's new there. He's a, he's probably a player that a lot of people look up to. Like Shea Gilgis is barely older than me, <clears throat> me. So he probably grew up watching Chris Paul a little bit. Knows him as a great player with a lot of experience. Looks up to him. But at this point, it looks like he's annoying them a little bit. Like when things aren't going well, Shea Gilgis not playing, not playing great defense. But Chris Paul isn't playing particularly great either. They, they cut to, to him talking to Shea Gilgis, and he's just like in his face, like yelling something at him. And then he like slaps his high five, and Shea Gilgis is just looking at him like, like he's just rolling his eyes almost. He's not looking at him like he just seems like annoyed. Like get out of my face, and you see that from, from players on Chris Paul's team pretty much everywhere he goes. That it seems like he gets starts to get under people's nerves and gets to be pretty annoying to everybody. I think as time goes, he just people just don't want to hear. It. Like I think in the, in the playoff series, they don't want. Maybe they just don't want him getting up in their ears screaming when he's not playing particularly well, and when they're already locked in, they don't need. Shea Gilgis is probably thinking, "I don't need your motivation right now." Where in the playoffs, obviously, I'm obviously I'm locked in because the announcer, I think it was Chris Webber, was like, or maybe it was Mark Jackson. He's like, "That's what you need out of your veteran point guard. You need him." He's he's telling Chris he's telling Shea Gilgis right now locked up. We need you to play better defense because they're going at you every time, which they were. They were scoring every time. But if that's what Chris Paul is saying, I'm sure Shea Gilgis is thinking, "Great, lock lock up, play good defense." Like, I'm you, I'm trying. They're just it's just James Harden. What do you want me to do? I'm trying, and, he, and I don't need you screaming in my face. That's what it looks like. So that might be a part of why his teams just constantly fit, or just don't go as far as they should in the playoffs, even though. He's had teams that are built for him, and his numbers haven't been like atrocious in big games. It might just be more of his personality wearing on people by the time he gets to the playoffs, and he's just not built to be. I mean, I don't want to say he's not built to be a leader, but you just need all the right personalities with him for it to work, probably. Because in his throughout his career, you look at the Clippers, look back at that team, and they're built for that era, literally. That's probably the most perfectly built team that Chris Paul could ask for. Two dunkers to throw lobs to when at that time having two not having two players that play around the rim wasn't an issue. Had a great shooter, one of the best in the league, JJ Redick, Matt Barnes, role player, two way, can shoot a little bit, be a little bit of dog in people's faces, play some defense. Had some Jamal Crawford off the bench, like that was a perfect team for him. He couldn't even get to the conference finals with that team. And the word was that people were annoyed with him by the time he left. That he didn't really have the best relationships there. And I think looking at the Thunder now, 
even when it's young guys that you think they all look up to him, it's looking like a big part of his legacy is going to be he's one of the most efficient point guards ever, one of the best four generals. He could play great defense, too. He really is like everything you would want in a point guard. And you think you want a leader, which he is a leader, whether he's a good leader or a bad leader. He clearly leads his teams. He has the full package, but when it gets to the playoffs, his teams just don't deliver despite him not having horrible, like, choking performances a lot of the times. I think a lot of it just mentally he wears on people too much, and I think that's going to be a lot of his legacy that he wasn't easy, wasn't the most loved person to play with. And it looks like that's gone to them a little bit, and just the fact that Rockets are a better team. Th- Thunder, maybe in a year from now, when Lou Dort, if you had, you could fast forward his career to where maybe Lou Dort could hit one of the threes that he takes in that ge- in that past game, where he's, I think he's shot like 20% on the year. Maybe he'll get that up to like 30% to where if you leave him wide open, he has a good chance of hitting it. Rather than now, you, you just think, watch it put it up, and you know that there's no way it goes in unless he just gets completely lucky. So I think we're going to see Rockets-Lakers next round, and I think that should be pretty easy for the Lakers. That's a pretty good matchup for them. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't see who's guarding Anthony Davis in the Rockets to start off. They're going to put P.J. Tucker on him. It's not horrible. Who you been put on JaVale McGee then? Everyone keeps saying, oh, I don't know if like teams like the Lakers, they could play JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard against the Rockets. I don't see that at all, at least not with their starting lineup. Ja- JaVale McGee versus P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker isn't going to give him a move. He's not going to cross him over. He's not. He doesn't have to guard him on the perimeter. All he has to do is get out there, put a hand up, and not let him go straight to the rim because he's not going to cross you. He's not going to do anything like that. So having a big center on him isn't a problem. And having, having the problem with big centers usually is having is when they get put in pick and rolls again and pick and pops and where they might and they're getting positioned to switch onto players like James Harden. The Rockets don't put you in a ton of those positions. They do have some have a little bit of movement now where they get some switches. They set but it's mostly guard to guard screens. PJ Tucker for the most part just stands in the corner. For the in the Lakers series, you would think if I was Dan Tony I would set a lot of ball screens with P.J. Tucker, but so far you don't see a ton of that. I would, so I don't see how they're going to be able to punish them unless they adjust and do that. And they haven't done it much in the Thunder series where you would think they would to try and get Steven Adams off the floor or at least to try and make that a problem for them, but they don't do that. So if they're just going to stick with the guard-to-guard screens, then Anthony Davis and JaVale, not JaVale McGee, not as much. But just the, all the size they have, Dwight, Anthony Davis, JaVale, they're just going to be able to punish them down low. And on the wing, Lakers have wing defenders, which is what you need against the Rockets. Lakers are weak at like guard scoring and wing scoring besides LeBron, but they have wing defender defenders. Danny Green is a good matchup for James Harden. No one could guard James Harden. He'll probably... If he plays as good as he can, he doesn't have one of James Harden playoff performances. He'll average 30-something for that series, regardless of who they put on him. But Danny Green will be able to contain him better than most. And Caruso, he's he can defend. He can he can hold Westbrook a little bit better than a lot of guards. They don't have Shea Gildas out there where 
I don't think Shea Gills just is as bad as he was last game usually, but I don't think they have any player out there regularly that's that's ever just going to be like we're picking on you. I mean, they'll pick on Kuzma, bigger guy, but in terms of wing, wing guards, not like a big forward. They don't they have they're pretty good there. KCP can defend. So they have just guys that can match up with James Harden and Russell Westbrook pretty well. So I think the Lakers will will have that one fairly easily. Probably in like five or six. And the games they win will probably be by a lot. Talk about the Mavs too, since they just got knocked out. I don't think they need to do that much roster wise to moving forward. I don't think they're that far off, as far off as some announcers and people have been saying. I think if they need to make sure that Porzingis can stay healthy. Whoever that is, they need to rest him a lot because that man has had injury after injury throughout his career. They need to have him on the floor because without him on the floor, they're not winning a championship. But with him and Doncic, both of them, age-wise, they probably haven't hit their prime yet. They still have room to grow. They're going to keep getting even better. And even though Doncic is already playing MVP level, Porzingis is probably the next best thing. Right next, almost there. And in a league where it's not a lot of big threes, it's mostly big twos, I think that's enough. All they need is just a little bit better in terms of their secondary players. I think they need to get rid of guys like Justin Jackson on their roster. They need to not have to rely on like a Michael Kidd Gilchrist to be playing in playoff games. They need to get just a solid two-way wing. I've heard Gallinari, but that, that would be a good addition. But they need a guy that can at least hold his own defensively because defensively they're a problem. And they need a guy maybe like a Josh Richardson who who's probably is at his lowest value right now after a disappointing season with the Sixers. But he can hold his own defensively. He can give he can get you a good 18 a night. Good. He'd go off for 25, maybe even 30 if you need him. I think he's, he's a good fit for, for them. Maybe they just need some type of another two-way wing because they've got a couple with Cleaver and Finney Smith. But clearly right now, maybe whether it's Doncic, whether it's just them playing together as a unit, maybe it's the small guards that they go out there with Burke and Seth Curry, their defense just is not good enough. They, probably, they need to add to probably another solid center that can defend, just a defensive center that's trustable because... They should keep Boban because he can give them offense. He could give them instant offense when they need it, and and he's just good for their morale. But they should. They just need to add probably a trustable defensive center. Like I mean, they have Collie Stein on their roster. He just for for whatever reason didn't come to the bubble, and that guy's a little bit of an oddball. Seems like to me anyway. So I would I would get want to get rid of him. I don't trust him. I don't particularly want him on my squad playoff games but off the top of my head I'm trying to think of a solid just defense get they need to get their Mason Plumlee whether whether he they can get him from the Nuggets or there's there's a bunch of just solid defensive centers that aren't valued very well because that's usually not much of a need in the NBA but they need to have that someone on their roster for when they just need someone to hold it down the rim just give them like 10 minutes a night but more so than that they just need another two-way wing Josh Richardson, maybe even a guy that's less, that's a, a little bit of a lesser player, even though Richardson's value is probably already pretty low. 
but they don't need another star player I don't think they have enough right now with their players just keep developing they've got a lot of young players just give give the donkey give Luka Doncic give them another nice two-way player so they can show up their defense a little bit have a trustable score out there and they should be good but I mean I think that's all about that's about all for NBA right now um, yeah that's the first podcast I think unless I come in and want to throw something else after I look at my phone again but yeah I mean I've been having some indigestion so if you hear that that's what I've been fighting through for the whole thing but besides that it's been pretty painless I might just keep rolling with these pods might have to become the new the next Bill Simmons the next Joe Budden I don't, I don't do what Joe Budden does but I like me some Joe Budden so yeah that's about it with the pod I'll catch y'all later I guess I don't know